Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I have to say, I, I said this in the night, too. Uh, it's the first time I've ever been introduced via video. And it did, it did actually occur to me how gigantic his face is on the screen. It's a little bit like I'm, I would feel odd if he was, like, standing behind me looking over my shoulder. Anyways, hey, Riverbend, it is amazing to be worshiping with you this morning. Uh, it's been so fun for Britt and I uh, coming across from Portland, which is much rainier there, I will say. Uh, but it is also warmer there, which is, uh, you know... Uh, and, you know, we love the story that God's been telling through Riverbend, through this church. I remember back in the early days coming on out with the original crew as we were praying with Andrew and Grace and just launching things here. And we love Andrew and Grace. In fact, more than one occasion, Brittany and I have wondered if there's a way that we could figure out how to get on your guys' team uh, because we just love what God is doing here at Bend. And obviously, it's a beautiful place. And uh, it's a great place that we, we love visiting when we can get out here. Uh, when Andrew asked me if I would be willing to come up and teach. Uh, I had just begun to like prep for our fall series uh, at AGC in Portland. And we were looking at 1 Thessalonians, which is one of my favorite New Testament books. So if you got it, you can go ahead and flip over open to 1 Thessalonians. It's this beautiful little letter uh, that Paul is writes to this church that he's like, he's kick-started and had to leave. And he's like, what's going on back there? And he gets this report back from Timothy. And Timothy's like, everything's going incredible. And he carries so much of the Apostle Paul's heart. He just, he, he's just loves this little community. So Andrew said, uh, it was an open week and that I should preach whatever was on my heart. And this was what was on my heart as I was prepping for it. So if you would, please stand up. I want to read out these first verses from 1 Thessalonians 1, starting in verse 1. And it goes like this. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering and the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model for all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Wow, what an amazing declaration. Before we jump in, let's pray. Spirit, we just ask that you would come. Would you speak to us? Would you open up our hearts and minds to this text? Teach us how to be known by this story. We care about the things Jesus cares about away from the things that he doesn't care about. Lord, we pray that you would bring that wisdom and guidance and just how deep you want to take us all along. We love you, Jesus. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and grab a seat. There's a, a now quite famous story told about uh, Rabbi Akiva. Uh, and it goes something like this. Basically, one day, Rabbi Akiva was out for this long walk. He was contemplating life, 
and God and all the things. And in the midst of his contemplation, this like fog descends. And he's, him, lost in thought, he, he misses the turn to his own village. And he finds himself, after a little while of walking, out front of these giant Roman gates. And, and suddenly, from kind of the fog comes this voice. Who are you? Why are you here? Uh, Rabbi Akiva, shaken from his thoughts, responds, what, what, what did you say? And the soldier again states out loud, like, who are you? Why are you here? And the rabbi considers for a moment, and then he responds like rabbis often do with his own question. Uh, how much are you paid to do this? The Roman soldier is kind of taken aback. He wasn't really expecting that question. He's like, what, why are you asking me this? Rabbi Akiva pushes. He's like, I'm sure you're paid for this. I'm simply asking, like, how much? How much do you make to do this? And the Roman soldier barks at him, two drachma a week. To which Rabbi Akiva responds, I'll pay you twice that if you'll stand outside of my door every single morning and ask me those same two questions. Who are you? Why are you here? Anyone here like... Uh, like Rabbi Akiva, like one of those contemplative walkers. Any walkers out here? I mean, we're in bed, right? This is hiking, walking, no hands. There's literally nobody. Uh, okay, thank you. I'm a little interactive, so when I when I ping pong, like when I hit the ball, I hit it back. So yes, there we go. Have you ever found yourself for those walkers in the room? Ever found yourself in those moments where you're like deep in thought, so so deep in thought that you like suddenly put your head up and you're like, how did I get here? Right? How did I? I don't even remember all the steps, you know, like it's, it's kind of a spiritual discipline for me. I love to go for long walks. Now, this can also happen while you're driving. It's a little more dangerous, but it does happen occasionally. I remember um, in 2008, Brittany and I uh, and our four kids, we moved back from Glasgow, Scotland to inner city uh, San Diego. We had been in Scotland planting a church. We loved it. We kind of thought we were going there forever, but God called us back. And now we're in, you know, we're in San Diego. It's so different, radically different. We went from living in this like 120-year-old, you know, gorgeous tenement flat in the heart of uh, Scotland's like largest city to this like itsy-bitsy, super cute, but super sketchy craftsman shed thing just off the downtown in San Diego. And we're adjusting. We're adjusting from this like slower paced walking life to this high paced driving culture. And, and, and our skin, it was like pasty white in, in a way that, that only Scotland could produce. Um, and, and we were getting used to like one of San Diego's like hottest falls in like decades. And, and the kids' teachers like just kept pounding us over and over and over again. You need to put more suntan lotion on your kids. We were basically just this like family of six walking tomatoes everywhere we would go. We felt so out of place. The ministry that we had joined was wrestling its way off the ground. It was difficult. It was painful. We were uncomfortable. We were confused. It was rough. I remember after a particularly difficult weekend, uh, waking up one morning and needing to go out to clear my mind, to go do one of those like walks. And I just started kind of following my feet, and I walked for like hours, I mean hours and hours, wrestling with God. I remember somewhere around like the six-hour mark, God, in His grace, He met me. 
just like simple, quiet prayer was just ask the question, Like, I'm here because you've called me to come here. I didn't want to live, leave Scotland. Like, you told me to come. What do you mean, why am I here? And what preceded was a conversation, dare I say, a bit of a, a hissy fit. Uh, anybody been there before? And uh, with God, where I was like, what do you mean? I was confused, frustrated. Why, why would God ask me that question? You know why I'm here, God. I'm, I'm here because I felt like you told us to come here. You wanted us to leave Scotland. I was full of frustration, anger. I was having like one of those like Jonah under the leaf moments, like just getting pissed. When I was finally done stomping my feet and my mind calmed again, I heard the question again. God repeated himself. And as a basic practice for myself, whenever I'm praying, and I feel like God is repeating himself, I figure the maker of the universe shouldn't have to repeat himself, right? So I should probably listen. So I stopped, and I began looking around. I was like, God, what do you mean by God? God, you're being like sweet. What, what do you mean by God? And in the middle of that, God, in his goodness, he is so patient, just starts to like, almost like help me restore this I recalled Moses standing in front of the Red Sea with like Pharaoh's army like charging down on top of him and him with his little staff and, and he's like, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And God's like, Moses, like, why are you here? Like, just go through the water. Can you imagine being Moses in that moment? Like, God, nobody's ever done this in the history of all humankind. What do you mean? Why am I still standing here? Or I thought of Elijah up on a mountaintop, right? After defeating the prophets of Baal, and he's, he's heartbroken, and he's in despair, and he's discouraged, and, and, and he's like crying out, and, and God breaks through and goes, why are you here, Elijah? Just go. Do the thing I called you to do. Go anoint those kings. Go call the next generation to come follow. Go do the stuff, Elijah. Or even Jesus. Jesus standing in front of his disciples and his disciples coming to him panicked. There's like thousands of people all around him. They've got their little loaves and fishes and they're like, Lord, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And the, he's like, you give them something to eat. Like, you've seen the work, boys. You know how this works. You know who I am. Therefore, you know who you are. So do the things that we do. You give them something to eat. Who are you? not entirely sure what it was about those early sermons that Paul preached, but Paul says that like they came with like power, dunamis, dynamite. There's, there was something about the Holy Spirit's activating presence that came on those early gospel messages that he spoke to the Thessalonians. And, and there was some deep conviction that followed those messages and something else. There was the gospel, the Spirit's presence, deep conviction, and some other piece of the equation. We know from, from Acts 17 that Paul and Silas, they spent several weeks with the Thessalonians. Uh, so it had something to do with shared life. They had lived their lives uh, in a way with this little church plant, this little community that was suffering severely, according to verse 6. That 
after a little while, they were, they were potent and, and amazing and powerful and almost unexplainable. God started moving in their midst. In a short time, the Thessalonian church became like a workhorse for the gospel of Jesus. Their transformation and their, and their ministry and their words spread, not just throughout their city, but all throughout Macedonia and Achaia and then to everywhere beyond. In fact, to the point where Paul would say, like, everyone has heard the message. But how? What was, what was the element that took Paul's words and the Holy Spirit's activating power and turned, them, turned the Thessalonian church into a missionary movement? What was it? Well, I think the key is found in verse 6. Verse 6 uses the word invitation. Gospel, Holy Spirit's presence, deep conviction, invitation. Now, the word invitation can be a bit tricky. Um, we have imitation, the adjective, which is something like, Im- like imitation crab, which typically is not a favorable thing. Often it refers to like a weak copy of the original. Sorry for any of the imitation crab fans out there. But, uh, and, and then we have imitation that, repre- that represented like a noun or a verb, like a mishap, a mishap, which tends to refer more to the idea of mimicking or duplicating or becoming like someone or something else. And this can be good or bad, depending upon what's the thing that you're becoming like, right? Brittany and I uh, just got back from Chicago. We were visiting our middle two kids, Kelton and Mackenzie. They're both at Bible uh, at Moody Bible College, and they're both studying to be pastors, and they're both struggling to find that balance between caring for the people around them, caring for themselves, and trying to pass, right? Uh, and, and, and as we talked to them, I kept going back inside, back and forth inside my own heart with all this, like, pride and just, like, so thankful for all the good things that they're doing. Um, they're both committed to loving people and, and loving uh, the, and being committed to school and then also feeling convicted because I was, like, looking at them. They, they are so much like Brittany and I, like, all the good and the bad, crammed full of, like, my heart to, like, build stuff and pull people together and Brit's heart of compassion and, and, and helping people feel heard with heavy doses of, like, people-pleasing and a little bit of striving and then some drivenness mixed in. They are so much like us. And in many ways, actually, they're, they're far, especially today, they're far better versions of us. And that, my friends, is the power of invitation. As we live our lives in close proximity, we learn what it means to be human on a foundational level. That's why family, whether it's spiritual or biological, it's, it's so important and it can be so, impo- so powerful because family is a vehicle for worship. Let me say that again. Family is a vehicle for worship. And this, this is the element that set the Thessalonian church on fire. Paul's secret weapon, so to speak. It, it, it was formation through imitation. Follow me as I follow Christ. He called the Corinthians to imitate him, 1 Corinthians 4, and to follow him as he followed Jesus in 1 Corinthians 11. He told the Philippians to follow his example in Philippians 3 and to put into practice those things that they had seen, Philippians 4. And he said similar things to both Timothy and Titus. And this isn't the last time we're going to see it in Thessalonians. Imitation was central to the work of of Paul because it was central to Jesus. 
Jesus gave a final charge, a, a, a great commission to his disciples as he was being taken up. And he called them to go and make disciples. But here's the thing about making disciples in Jesus' day. It wasn't just an event. It was a relationship. It wasn't just a couple hours a week at church, kind of listening to a teacher. No, it was like life on life. A disciple didn't just show up for rabbi. No, he walked with him. He, he watched him. He listened to him. He got covered in his dust. He imitated him. He imitated God. In Paul David Tripp's book, Instrument in Redeemer's Hands, a great reading book, he says this, the church is not a theological factory. That's the thing about it. The church is not a theological factory. It's a conversion, confession, repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, and sanctification of the soul. And where flawed people place their faith in Christ, gather to know and love Him better, and learn to love others, this is what church is like. This is what church looks like. In effect, the church is the place where you get to flesh out the gospel of Jesus together as a family. Learning how to, to become as we watch those who have gone ahead of us. Like emulating the good. Being challenged and changed uh, by lives that have proven faithful to the gospel. You look at the faithful and say, like, I want to become like that. Humbling ourselves enough to say, man, I want my life to look a little more like your life as you follow Jesus to be formed through imitation. That's how we do this together, as community. What's beautiful is that imitation often leads to multiplication. When people start to notice Jesus in the lives of these Thessalonians, it led to like a curiosity, a natural curiosity, which called them to follow more and more and more and more. First Thessalonians 1, kind of midway through 5, says this. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so we became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Notice the progression. It's really important. Paul and Silas, they live these gospel lives with the Thessalonians in, in family together. Who become, and they become imitators. The Thessalonians become imitators of Paul and Silas and Jesus in them. And then the Thessalonians themselves become models for those who would lead after them. This, this is the discipleship-making model of the New Testament. The formation, the imitation that leads and then it's at the core to our DNA as family to follow Christ. Because in the end, you could argue with a set of facts. Um, you can debate an interpretation of history. You can even deny the existence of God. But it is very difficult to argue with life coming down from the gospel. It's very difficult to... To, to argue with the power of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of freedom that comes as we are formed together into the image of Jesus. It's hard to argue with a life-changed story. But it does beg the question, right? 
What was it that the Thessalonians saw in Paul and Silas that they put into practice? If maybe this kind of answers the, like, who are we question, like, what, what did they do? What are the things that they did? Well, yeah, Paul describes three things that he observed. First, their work was produced by faith. Now, the word for faith in the original language, it includes the idea of, like, faithfulness and reliability. So when our work is uh, produced by faith, it points to the faithfulness or reliability of the thing that we're putting our faith in. So, so think about it. Like, our, when we say that we, we have faith in something, that thing proves itself to be faithful. When you combine that idea with, with Hebrews, which says that faith is the assurance of things we do not see, it also has a bit of an unexplainability to it. So an analogy, an analogy that might help. I'm kind of a visual person. Anybody else there? This helps me, okay? So if I'm the only person in the room, this helps me. So do it. There we go. Imagine me. I'm standing on this very firm, this very stable, well, I wish it was a little more stable, chair, right? And I'm up here, and it's holding my weight. It sustains me. It's holding me up in the air. And it's very visible. All of you can see it. You've got your eyes locked on it. Now, I want to... I want to in, in provoke you to use your imagination for a second. What if you couldn't see the chair? I mean, what if it was invisible? What if you were looking at me standing up here, and there was just a giant gap between my feet and the ground? You would be wondering to yourself, how is he doing that? You'd probably be looking and go, like, ropes coming from the ceiling. What is holding him up? What is sustaining him? It's like this. It's like the Thessalonians lived their life out, out loud in such a way their faith was so presentable that people looked at it and said, like, what, what's sustaining you? Like, what's holding you up? And the answer was this invisible, wonderful, amazing God that loved them and a family that was around them and, and they couldn't see the people around them. They couldn't see the God that was sustaining them as a people. Their faith, though, pointed back to Jesus. You guys tracking with me? Does that make sense? So we, we live our lives in a way that points at the faithful reliability of the invisible God that we serve. Consider, I, I wonder for a moment, do our lives show evidence of that faithful reliability of our faith? I mean, when, when people around us in our workplaces and our homes when they look at us and they see us standing in the midst of adversity, in the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of our pain, do they wonder to themselves, like, what's holding them up? Like, how are they doing that? That's amazing. Thessalonians lived their life in such a way that it pointed to the invisible God. And I wonder, how are we doing that? What does it look like for us to do that? But there's more. Number two. Their labor was prompted by love. Now, the notion of love, it carries all sorts of complexity nowadays, I know, but, but I want to keep us focused, so I kind of want to look at like the apex of love. John, John 15, he says that the greatest form of love is when one lays down their life for their friends. The, the apex of love is sacrifice. Sacrificial love. Not, not warm fuzzies, not like quality time, not sex not even chocolate, it's the idea of dying to yourself. The Thessalonians' labor was motivated by love, 
Love for Paul and Silas, for sure. Love for each other in the wider community, also for sure. But most importantly, love for God. It was centered on Jesus. And that love motivated and drove them, and it ultimately overflowed in the communities around them. There's, there's something about wholehearted love that fires up death to self. Which we want to start like laying stuff down because it's like our hearts are all in. It's like when we find something big enough to give our life to, our love to, we start to forget secondary things, however important they might be. Now, of course, this can be abused, but there are times in our life where, where love, it overrides our own well-being. Any, any parents in the room? There's a few. There's one back there somewhere. Uh, you get this, right? Is there any other human on the planet that you would sleep two to three hours a night for, right? Or that you would endure unsettleable cries or be pooped on or spit up on or insert whatever thing on, right? Is there any other human when, you, when you're at the end of your rope and you're like, can I trade this back into the hospital? Or, or is there a way that I could get a puppy in exchange? Which is a trap, by the way. That's a trap. And then they smile at you, right? And you're like, oh, okay, let's do it again. You know? In the midst of severe suffering, the Thessalonians kept on serving. They kept on sacrificing, motivated by love. I wonder, is, is my labor motivated by love? I know my heart. I can be motivated by so many other things. I find myself wanting approval or affirmation or, or getting respect from my peers. And those aren't necessarily bad things, but they can be a distraction from the real thing. Jesus himself modeled for us radical, selfless love. It was God's love for the world, right, that led him to send his son. Selfless love literally boiling up from within the Trinity and, and overflowing on humanity. God's love erupting passion, passion that none would be lost. When was the last time our service for Jesus, our service for the Lord was prompted by good old-fashioned passion? An unabashed love for Jesus is found. That's, that's the God stuff. And that's the heart that we see in the Thessalonians. But Paul's got one more. Third, their endurance was inspired by hope. Again, the word for endurance um, in the original language includes the, these ideas of like steadfastness and perseverance. It's an interesting word because its root word is actually the one that we often translate for abide or remain. Think of Jesus calling his disciples to remain with him in John 15. The Thessalonians' ability to remain in Jesus while suffering, while enduring persecution, it was, it was possible by keeping their hope in Jesus, specifically in his kingly return. 1 Thessalonians 1, kind of midway through 8, says this. Therefore, we do not, say, do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave to us. They, t they tell how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their persecution that had resulted from them t 
turning their allegiance away from Caesar, allegiance away from the other lesser gods to King Jesus. They fought to remain in Christ. And the weapon that they choose to, they chose to fight with was the weapon of hope. Now, if living with faith is about having a life that points to the faithful, reliable reliability of the invisible God like we share, then living with hope is about having a life that's sustained by a confident expectation in the King we worship in Jesus. Our determination in the face of suffering and opposition, it is the face of Jesus and his triumphal return, his coming with healing in his wings. Our hope is in him and he will not disappoint us. Truly, this has been a season, a long season of endurance. And there's so much even now going on in the world, so much difficulty, so much pain. And the church has been right in the middle of so much of that. We, we at AJC, and I know you guys here, we've had to walk through difficult decision after difficult decision, fighting to stay on the mission that God has called us to. It's been arduous. But hope, hope is the fuel. Hope is what keeps us going. And that hope is grounded in Jesus. The Thessalonians, they had walked through this season of severe suffering, and they had responded with joy. And that endurance was fueled, was, was fueled by hope. But what does it look, what does that look like practically? Because it's got to be about more than just putting a smile on it, right? It's got to be about more than just kind of like wishful thinking. How does hope actually fuel endurance? Well, one way to think about it is like reading a really long book. Any readers out here? Any readers? Okay. And like the, the beefy ones, like, you know, like a 1,200-pager or something like that? Okay. I like a good 1,200-pager, 1,400-pager myself. I do. But I'll tell you, I'm busy, right, like all of us. And so I know what kind of commitment I'm making when I step into these books. So I, I get like three, four, five, six chapters in, and I find myself connecting strongly with a character, and I start feeling like, they better not kill this character off. In fact, I don't know that I want to spend the next hours of my life committed to this book if they're going to kill this character off. So, what do I do? I hope I'm not going to lose a bunch of respect right now. And so I flip to the back, and I just start scanning. Is like, is he still there? Is she still there? Is that character? Oh, yeah, yeah, praise God. Okay, I'll keep reading. I'll keep reading. Okay, I know, I know. You're not supposed to do that. But here's the reality. The reality is, is that by looking at the end of the story, we have hope to keep reading. This, this is our story. And the beauty is that we've been told the end of the story. Like we, we actually know where this is going. And at the end is our King Jesus. Who's coming back with healing in his wings. This is how hope keeps us moving forward through difficult times. We hold fast to the knowledge that he's coming. And every day, practically, this means we've got to keep reminding each other, reminding each other of our story. It's a good story. And it's got an amazing ending. And, and we need to remind ourselves by flipping to the end of the book every once in a while, literally and figuratively. Like we need to go there to remind ourselves of whose we are. The beauty is, is that the end of our story is mind-boggling. 
It's the moment that we find out that all of this was actually just the beginning. That the real shit was coming. That's the beauty. And that's where we can hope and keep going in the difficult times. The Thessalonian church, they modeled for all of those who were willing to see lives that displayed the faithful, reliable presence of the invisible God. They, they modeled lives of sacrificial, wholehearted love for God that spilled out all over their community. They, they modeled lives sustained by a confident, hope-filled expectation in Jesus Christ. And those, those are the answers to those questions. What, is it, what does it look like for us to say, who, like, who are we? Who, Lord, who are we in the midst of this generation Jesus' answer is that you're mine. Your identity is you're my family. And what are we called to do? Well, we're called to live radical lives of faith, love, and hope. I'd like to uh, leave you guys with a bit of an encouragement, a reminder, and a challenge. And we're wrapping up. First, encouragement. On behalf of AJC, on behalf of like-minded friends on the other side of the mountain range, we see what's going on here, and we are so thankful for you. Well done. Just like Paul's words to the Thessalonians, well done. Your faith has become known. Well done for being a family here in Bend, for having a presence to love people well, for loving your city well. Well done for growing in, com in your commitment to to looking more and more like Jesus. Well done. Well done for continuing to pursue Jesus with all of your heart. Your faithfulness to the gospel is impressive. God is on the move in your lives, awakening his people to him. Second, a bit of a reminder. As a father, maybe, in the larger community of churches, I just want to remind you, friend, brothers and sisters loved by God, chosen you. This church, he, this is his church. You are his people. And, and we are so for you. One of the reasons I love uh, 1 Thessalonians, it's got all this like family language in it. Paul sees this community at a distance as his family. And it's family that he is cheering them on. So I don't know, maybe just think about our church as like the crazy uncle on the other side of the mountains, sitting in the rain, just we believe in you guys and cheering you on. Like, God is doing so many good things. We're here. God loves you. But this leads me to my challenge. Third, Riverbend Church, do not forget who you are. Do not forget why you are here. Life in Bend is pretty good. It's a beautiful place beautiful people, all sorts of fun things to do, but the need for the gospel and the healing work of Jesus has never been greater. And, and, and this city, your city, it needs this family. Like it needs it in ways that it doesn't even understand. It can be easy to get derailed when things get really, really difficult and when things get way too complicated. My, my challenge would be, don't get derailed. 
Those are the times you've got to center yourself and, and quiet the, all the chaos and just hear the still, small voice that reminds you that you are his family. His family. Don't forget the gospel call that God has placed on your life. Don't forget that you are loved and you're worth and you're valued. God is calling you to step out in faith in unexplainable ways that people would look at your lives and say, what kind of world do you live in? God has called you to be a people of sacrificial love, willing to pour yourself out, to pour yourself out, to pour yourself out just like Jesus loved you. Fix your eyes on and I would like to pray over you and pray a blessing over us. If you would stand up to your feet real quick. This is actually like kind of an ancient thing. All throughout history, there's been times when like people have moved from one church to another church and it's just kind of the act of like seeing people and, and being a blessing and they do this thing. It's just, a, it's just a prayer of blessing over a community. And historically, uh, a visiting pastor or, or a visiting friend might, might just pray a blessing out over a community, over family. And it does a couple of things. One of the things it does is it reminds us that even though we are at a distance, we're all still the same family. But the other thing that it does is it actually brings an, an, an actual blessing on community people. And blessing, as you guys know, is never to be hung on to. Blessing is to be remembered. We are blessed. So what we would like to do is we'd like to just pray a blessing over you. That God would take that blessing through into your hearts, into your homes, into your families, and through them to the world. So if you just go ahead and close your eyes and we'll open up the hymnals right now. Jesus, we thank you that you still speak to us. Lord, and I ask that you would come in your fullness and your grace right now over Riverbend. Jesus, I pray blessing of your armor over this church, that they would grab a hold of the things you've offered to them. Jesus, you've offered the shield that can protect us from the darts of the enemy, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, for armor over them as well, that you would protect their minds, that you would bless them, because you've given us this armor to go out into the world and to draw people to you. So, Lord, just walk with them. And Jesus, I pray also a blessing of identity on you. May they fully listen for your voice and may they respond to what you say, Jesus, as you fill them with your identity and not their own. So may your voice be louder than the wind over them, Jesus. So I bless this church. I bless the leadership and Ginger Reyes. And we just thank you for them, Lord. Lord, we just extend just your favor and your blessing over Riverbend. We thank you for the fact that you are a God that sees each person in this room. And you know them, you love them, you're for them. And Jesus, right now we would ask that you would pour out your favor and your blessing from heaven on the people here in Wilmington. That they would take that blessing for their families, for their friends, for their neighbors, for their coworkers. That you would bless them same vein as Moses, we pray that you would open up ways through the water, through this church, Lord, that you would open up new work, through 
part waters, Lord Jesus. That you would just quickly bless them with that same blessing. Lord, in the spirit of Elijah, Lord, we pray for a blessing on, on the next generation. Lord, we, we pray that you would just raise up the next generation through the family. That those young people would stand on the shoulders of others, Lord, to, to build your kingdom. Jesus, we pray the blessing of multiplication. We pray the blessing of provision of food, Lord, through this through this house of faith, Lord, but also just through the houses of faith that are represented in this room. Lord, open up your resources to this city. Lord, build your church. Bless Riverbend as you build your church. We love you, Jesus. This is all about you. This is all for you. And it's in your name.